0: Rejoice, the Lord is king. Isn't that a great message? Isn't that, did, did you pay attention to the words that you were singing about what a great king he is? Jesus the Savior reigns, a God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above his kingdom cannot fail he rules o'er earth and heaven the keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given rejoice in glorious hope our Lord and judge shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home lift up your heart lift up your voice rejoice again I say rejoice you know King David did not know that hymn because it was written centuries, millennia after he lived and died. And yet, he knew the truth of what this hymn expresses. And the truth of what is expressed there is what enabled David to live a life of confidence. It's what enabled David. As we read here in Psalm 131, to calm and quiet his soul. And that's what we want to look at this morning. How to calm and quiet our souls. We do it in the Lord because we have a king and his name is Jesus. Follow with me as I read Psalm 131 beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 3, which is the end of the psalm. There are three truths that I want to point out to us from these three verses uh, this morning. The first is the comprehensive humility that is enjoined, that is exhorted for us. The comprehensive humility. Second is a childlike trust. A childlike trust that David expresses. And then, thirdly, a persevering hope. A persevering hope in the Lord. Notice, first of all, that David speaks of a comprehensive humility here in this first verse O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. We see, three aspects of what I call a comprehensive humility that are expressed here the first is David has dealt with pride Pride, he says my heart is not lifted up what does it mean to have your heart lifted up it means to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think it means to be proud those whose hearts are lifted up think you know the universe revolves around me it's all about me my wants, my desires, my preferences, my opinions. That, David says, my heart is not lifted up. I've, I have dealt with this kind of pride in my life. But not only does he address pride, but also arrogance. Not only his attitude towards God and his place in the universe, but also his attitude towards others. My eyes are not raised too high. In other words, I don't look down on others. I don't think that I am better than others. I don't think that my opinion is superior to others. I don't think that nobody else is as wise as I am. My eyes are not raised too high. And then the third is his attitude not just towards his relationship with God or his place in the universe, and not just his attitude towards others, but his attitude towards life in general. He was not discontented. He had dealt with discontentment. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. In other words, I am not selfishly ambitious nor perennially dissatisfied with what's going on in my life. Basically, again, David is saying, I am not the center of the universe. I'm not the creator and the sustainer. I don't know and understand everything. I must submit to one who does. Let's consider, if you would, just for a couple of minutes, what some others have commented about this. It may help us to understand a little bit better what David has written. In the Expositors Bible Commentary, we read this. In the presence of the covenant God, the psalmist has experienced how wonderfully complete submission to God is submission implies an attitude of humility the opposite of humility is haughty eyes and pre- preoccupation with great matters the proud person looks compares competes and is never content he plans and schemes in his heart as to no excuse me as to how he can outdo and outperform. The godly knows that true godliness begins in the heart, a heart that is not proud, with eyes that do not envy or look down, and with a walk of life that is not preoccupied with greatness and with accomplishments. James Boyce, in his commentary on this passage, I've referred to Boyce many times, writes this, Learning to subdue pride is the most important of all lessons in Christian character. Since pride is the most serious and pervasive of all vices. Isn't it true that just when you think you've got humility, it means you've lost it, right? Therefore, Boyce adds, the Bible has much to say about humility. And he quotes a few verses. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, He looks down upon the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. James 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, which is a quotation from the Old Testament. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, again, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. See, that's the key. We need to humble ourselves and let the Lord lift us up. Let the Lord be the one to exalt us in His good times. Perhaps the greatest passage, or at least one of the greatest passages on this subject of humility, is found in Philippians 2. If you have your Bible and want to take a moment to turn there, the very familiar passage, I'm sure some of you could quote it. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church to encourage unity. And the key to unity is humility. And he writes this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves Has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just pause for a moment and say, What a blessing, what a privilege it is here and now to be able to say that. Be able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because what the Apostle Paul is teaching under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that every tongue will confess it ultimately. The sad fact is some will confess it even as they are under God's eternal judgment. So, let me just say, confess it now. If you have not done so, recognize that you're a sinner, the Bible says, all has sinned and comes short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved if you will but turn from your sin and turn from self and put your faith in Christ crying out to the Lord for his mercy, putting your trust in Jesus alone as your Savior from sin, he will receive you. Jesus said, All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to him, even now, where you're sitting or standing or whatever your your posture is. Maybe you're lying in bed at home. Come to him in repentance and faith. Cry out to him in your heart. Bruce Ware, commenting on this passage from Philippians 2, in his book, The Man Christ Jesus, has some good thoughts. Let us take this truth to heart. Christ was exalted to the right hand of the Father and given His place of authority over all creation because He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That is, He humbled Himself to become human, become a man, and it was in as a man that He went to the cross for us. What we see here is no doubt the most glorious illustration ever lived out of the principle articulated in James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Jesus lived the most obedient life ever lived, seeking always to do the will of the Father who sent Him, suffering greater pain as the cost of His obedience than anyone ever has or could experience. But this was His reward. Therefore, God, has highly exalted Him. Clearly, the measure of His humble obedience became the measure of His glorious exaltation. In the most positive way possible, the principle of humiliation followed by exaltation was lived out beautifully in Jesus. And then he adds this. Let us learn from the divine principle that fully and perfectly in Jesus' life that God will not fail to honor those who honor Him, that He will exalt those who are humble, that He will reward obedience in ways beyond our comprehension. Humble yourselves. That's what David learned. David learned that the first step in calming his soul, calming and quieting his soul, was to humble himself. And I want to address that That third phrase where he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. James Boyce adds this, which I think is helpful. What David seems to be concerned about in this verse is not so much the accomplishment of great deeds, but rather peering into the hidden purposes of God, which is what the words great matters and things too wonderful for me in the NIV usually refer to in the Bible. He is saying he had learned that he did not have to understand everything God was doing in his life or know when he would do it. All he really had to do was trust God. You ever find yourself asking, Lord, why? Lord, what are you doing? What is going on here? What is it with this pandemic Lord, what are you doing here? Do you ever find yourself asking that? Maybe about international things, global things, or maybe just about things in your own life. Boyce adds, we do not have to understand all God is doing in our lives or in our world, but we do need to trust him completely. As Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. Although we need to learn what God has revealed in the Bible for our instruction and obey it, beyond that, we need to trust God completely for the wise ordering of our lives. There are some things beyond our comprehension, some things We won't know until that day when, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, we shall know even as we are known. We're going to have to wait for some of that knowledge. But then that leads us to the second point, a childlike trust. Notice in verse 2, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's interesting that he doesn't just say a child, but a a weaned child. What's the significance of that? Well, Steve Lawson writes this. A weaned child, possibly about four or five years old, walks beside his mother. Old enough to be weaned off his mother's breast, but not yet old enough to care for himself. Trusting his parent, in this case his mother, for everything. Before he was weaned, David wanted God only for what, basically, he could get from God, right, in in learning about God. But after that, having learned that God loved him and would care for him, even if it was not exactly the way he anticipated or wanted, he came to love God for God himself. He came to learn to trust God, to walk with God and believe that God was in control. That's a much better and much more mature relationship. Here's a question. Have you, and have I, learned to love and trust God for Himself and not merely for what we can get from Him? Have we learned to love the Lord, to obey Him, and to trust Him even when He doesn't give us what we desperately desire. But have we learned to trust Him as a weaned child? Do we have that childlike faith in the Lord? As I indicated, this, the main point here is the image of a childlike trust in God. Jesus refers to this in Matthew 18, verses 1-4. through 4. We read this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What's he referring to? He's referring to a childlike trust in the Lord. And in Mark 10:15. We read this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do we receive the kingdom of God like a child? By trusting, by not having to have all of the answers, by not having to, to necessarily see everything, but to know that what the Lord says is true, to trust Him. Now let me just... Maybe as a side note, add a couple of points that I think we know, but need to be reminded of. First of all, there is a vast difference biblically between being childlike and childish. All right, childlike means we trust the Lord, we we follow Him, we we have confidence in Him. Being childish means we're immature, and we act like babies. We're selfish. We want our way. We have to it's all about me, right? You I don't have to tell you. You have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, you you know what little children when they're acting childish, you know what that is? It's all about me. I've often referred to the property laws of a toddler, you know, and basically everything's mine right, in in regards to toys, unless it's broken and then it's yours, all right? That's childish, that's a childish attitude. Sometimes it's been demonstrated in church business meetings. I hope you've never been in one of those business meetings, but I doubt that there are many of us who have not. Childishness. It, my opinion's going to be heard. I want my way. We're going to do things my way. It's all about me. The second thing that I want to say about this is that while we are to be childlike in our trust of the Lord, that does not mean we are to remain as what some call baby Christians, right? Right? The, the goal is that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should always have a childlike trust and faith in the Lord. But at the same time, we should be growing up to mature believers. There's nothing commendable about remaining a baby Christian years and years after professing faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3 to the church at Corinth, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul said, you're, when, whenever you demonstrate this kind of jealousy, this kind of selfishness, it shows that you're babies. Be childlike. Don't be childish. The third thing that David expresses that enabled him to calm and quiet his soul was persevering hope. And it's what he commended to others. Notice in verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Hope in the Lord. Now, in many respects, hope is another word for faith and trust. But it always has a future orientation, a future expectation, expectation of fulfillment, of reward. Don't misunderstand the biblical understanding of hope. As I've often said, hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. All right? Kind of like some are still holding out hope that there's going to be a football season. Right? It's not wishful thinking. It's confident expectation. It's future-oriented. God has promised and He will fulfill. And so... David says, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This kind of hope is confidence that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8 28. Here at the end of this psalm, David encourages those who are closest to him, his nation, his brethren. To hope in the Lord, not just now, but from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, he encourages a persevering hope, a hope that does not waver, a hope that does not quit, a trust and confidence in the Lord that is not dependent on the circumstances of life, but one that is constant, one that keeps on keeping on even to the end. David knew that sometimes our hope is battered, right? Sometimes there are hindrances, obstacles to our persevering in this kind of confident expectation that the Lord really is doing something good. Sometimes we wonder what God's up to. We're often tempted to put our hope somewhere else. Maybe in our finances, our job. Maybe in Our health, maybe in a vaccine, or maybe in a president, right? Some person, some leader, some government, maybe the Supreme Court. Just let me tell you, all those are vain hopes. That is not where our hope is to be. Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What David knew is what Paul expresses in his letter to Titus. In Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Take a a moment to turn there. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, beginning in verse 11 of Titus 2. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's our hope. Our hope is that God will continue to work all things together for good to those who love him until we meet Jesus, until he comes back or we see him face to face. To the Galatians, Paul wrote this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't let go of your hope. Keep on keeping on. How do you calm and quiet your soul? Is your life characterized by humility, a comprehensive humility? Do you have a childlike trust in the Lord? Are you persevering in hope? How can we do that? Because the Lord is king. Rejoice. He is in control. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for an abundant measure of your grace. That we may indeed live out what we are instructed to do in this psalm. To follow the example of David who penned this. That we would not, that our hearts would not be lifted up. That our eyes would not be lifted too high. That we would not occupy ourselves, concern our things with, are not our business. But Lord, that we would trust you like children, that we would have a childlike trust in you. And not just for a moment, not just when things are good, but Lord, that we would persevere, that we would hope in you now and forevermore. We ask for your grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.